I had a gentleman who was a World War II veteran uh, sitting and talking with me, telling me, and, and tears coming to his eyes. He said, I am surrounded by people every day, and I've never been so lonely. That had a major impact on me. What you heard was a little blip of what you're going to hear on this particular podcast. It is the LDS Life Podcast. I'm Kevin Williams, podcasting to you from Billings, Montana. Today, I interviewed David Bresnahan. David Bresnahan has a long history of politics and acting, and you will hear about this on the podcast. This podcast is going to be divided up into two parts. The first part is going to be talking about his political and acting career, along with a book that he wrote about 9-11. The second part of his podcast, part two, will consist of his conversion story and the Stop Smoking book that you may have seen on your mission. It is a great podcast. I thought it was very heartwarming, and this will be divided up into two parts because I thought two hours was just a little too long for one podcast. I hope you enjoy part one and two of the podcast, as I thoroughly enjoyed recording and making it. It is Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Life Podcast. David Bresnahan's my guest. David, uh, you've got a, quite a story. We're going to go over, uh, we're, I'm going to introduce you here, and it's going to be somewhat lengthy. I usually don't do this with guests, but you're, you have such an interesting past. Dave Bresnahan was involved with politics. He was also got a degree in communications from Westminster. David Bresnahan is also an actor, and he did a lot of things in the in politics in Utah. He was in the legislature. He owned a radio station. He was a talk show host for a while. Um, he has a movie. It's going to come out called Grandpa's Crazy. We're going to talk about that. How are you, David? I'm good. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Let's just get off. I know uh, you didn't want to dwell upon this, but I want to get into this a little bit. Uh, what made you get into politics in Utah? Uh, gosh, well, just being a concerned citizen, yeah. I, I had no desire to be, quote unquote, a politician. And I didn't mm -hmm. have political aspirations. You know, I didn't want to... Uh, pursue one office after another kind of thing. I just simply wanted to have my say and I was concerned about various issues and wanted to have an opportunity to influence what was going on in our state. Um, I had a number of friends who were instrumental in uh, convincing me to run. They was more like they were arm twisters mm -hmm. and uh, I finally gave in and, and decided to do it. So you were in the when were you in the legislature? From when to when? Let's see. That was ninety. Uh, I, nine. My wife is sitting across from me. She says it's ninety four to ninety six. Okay, because you made a big splash. I heard about you in nineteen ninety nine on the Chuck Harder show, and you made okay. a. Okay, now you were not the next Chuck Harder. No, but you were making a big splash. At least I thought maybe it's because I was in Utah. Uh -huh. and, I mean, this is after you owned K talk. This is after the things that you did politically, you were making kind of a splash. The very fact that you were on the Michael Reagan show told me that you had a little bit of status going on there. Well, first off, you need to understand that Mike and I are friends. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was one of the early, not the first, but one of the early stations to put his show on the air. Um, and so that's when we established our friendship. So he was on K talk and, um, I vaguely remember admi- that. Yeah. We admired each other and, and, uh, uh, I was on his show a number of times. I had authored some books and he was interviewing me based on, uh, a book that I had written about Bill Clinton. Okay. Um, so what made you get out of politics? Because I was kind of sad uh, when your site was down, investigative journal. What made you get out of politics, talk radio and all that? Because uh, I kind of liked what you were doing. Well, um, a lot of people did. Uh, I simply reached a point where I had realized in my life that I just didn't need the stress it was causing. Um, I had a young family. Um I wanted to spend more time with my kids. And there were a couple of threats on my life um, in which uh, uh, the actors actually took, uh, made an effort to uh, kill me. And so that was a pretty big wake up call. And uh, I just decided my family didn't need to have that kind of uh, problems going on. We had to have police guarding our house and guarding me and all sorts of things. And I just felt like this was not something I wanted to have as part of my life. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. I, 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 we're not going to dwell in politics. But what did you learn from your experience though, about human nature or whatever? What did you learn from your experience with alternative media writing and all those things? What did I learn? That would be a good question. Um, uh, well, there's several aspects of that, uh, by training and my early career, I was a journalist Mm -hmm. and, uh, I had begun my journalism career back in Massachusetts in the Boston area. And, uh, my nature was such that I was just always looking to find answers. And, and that's what an investigative journalist does dig in uh, and and get the, the deeper story, uh, not just the little cursory, uh, you know, uh, city council meeting took place and we'll report on it, but something much more in depth. And so that was what I liked doing as a reporter and the radio program gave me an opportunity to talk directly with sources and when you put somebody on a talk show, you're putting them on the spot. Mm -hmm. And I, I discovered, I liked that form of, of uh, interviewing someone. I began at K talk back in the days of Mills Crenshaw and uh, Kay Henry and others who were there. Um, And I, had not done that kind of radio work before. I had in Massachusetts had a uh, opportunity as a news director of a radio station. It's different than having an actual talk show with guests that you could interview. So I liked that opportunity to be able to interview the people that I wanted to talk to in public. 
um, no greater way than putting them on the air and uh, getting to the, the heart of a story that way. Uh, what did I learn? I learned that uh, for the most part, people lie constantly. Um, they lie because they tell you what they want you to know, not what necessarily is the truth. And uh, I learned that no matter who you're associated with, egos get in the way and uh, people do what uh, their selfish desires uh, have on their agenda and they don't care who they step on as they pursue their agenda. Um, so uh, I was just tired of being in the muck, if you will, yeah. of those kinds of people. Uh, it's one thing for someone to be a fan of, say, a talk show and, and to listen to the inside scoop that you're hearing about. And it's another thing to actually be deeply involved with all of that and be inundated with um, the muck of the world on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis. And so I just had enough of it. Yeah, I understand. It can be pretty stressful. I, I personally know those that have been in the Patriot movement or politics, and yes, it, it can be a burnout. But let's, uh, let's talk about something more lighthearted. How about it? Okay. Uh, you've got a movie coming out called Grandpa's Crazy. Now, when is this coming out? I could not figure out when it was coming out. It just said sometime in the summer. Do you know when it's coming right. out? Uh, I don't. Um, so in the world of movie making, uh, the owner of the movie is the one who markets it and, and makes those kinds of decisions. My movie is up for sale. Um, there's all kinds of, of things in the movie world regarding uh, funding of films and getting them made. And my choice in making this film was to fund it myself and then sell it. Uh, the reason for that is that if I fund it myself, I get to control it and make the decisions. And the ultimate uh, look and feel of the film is in my control. So uh, in pursuing it that way, um, I could then with my finished film, hire a distribution service to distribute the film in theaters. And I would still have control and I would say, okay, we're gonna be out in June or July or whenever it is I would pick. And um, I would pay for that and then I, it would make it happen. Uh, the cost of putting movies in theaters is extremely expensive. And so that's not something I particularly want to spend my money on. However, uh, there's a better way to go, in my opinion, and that is um, sell it. So there are companies that will buy a completed film and then they take over, they market it, they, they, they take it to the theaters, the streaming entities and so forth. And that would mean uh, I could also make my return on the film very quickly instead of waiting for the proceeds of sales of movie tickets uh, to get my investment back and hopefully make a profit. So that the strategy that I've taken is that we're, we've got this film 
uh, up for sale. And we have buyers who are anxiously waiting. I get emails and messages from them pretty much weekly now. Is it ready? Can we see it? Can we see it? And uh, no, it's not ready yet. So they haven't seen it. They've seen the trailer and they've seen a few clips, but they haven't seen the whole movie. They have seen the script and they love it. So it's encouraging to me um, pretty much as long as we've done a good job, uh, I think we'll have the movie sold to a major studio like Sony or another. And uh, that then they'll make the decisions about when and where will it be seen. And so all we can say is that it's being targeted for a summer release. Okay. Now, I don't know. I mean, if you don't want to get into this, that's perfectly fine. I know nothing about film. What, what do you have to do? You said that you're not finished. What do you have to do to it still? And if you don't want to answer, so, that's fine. No, no, no. I'll answer your questions. It's okay. quite all right. Okay. Um, that's the kind of thing people, you know, are always curious about. When a film is made, we think of it as, you know, you go out and you, you film uh, and we stopped filming last uh, September. Uh, there was an extra day of filming, but generally speaking, it was done in August. And so you'd think, oh, the film is done. Um, that, that goes into post-production, it's called. And that's when the editor edits all the various scenes together. And um, once the film is edited, then you have a film that's locked. The, it's called a picture lock. And the film goes to the sound guy and goes to the composer and goes to the colorist. And then they have time that is needed to do their job. Uh, composer, I think is pretty obvious. They're gonna do all the music that plays as the movie goes. And uh, the uh, colorist is the person who in effect colors the film. So if you're, if you're looking at my video image right now, Mm -hmm. uh, the composer might say, gee, this there's too much um, grayish white in this. We need to liven it up. And he'd make some of the colors in the background different. And their colors help us to feel the emotions of the scene. And uh, the, the colorist is one of the, in my opinion, one of the most important people in the construction of a movie they're a tremendous artist and they help us to feel the emotions that are going on the composers doing the same thing uh the music that you hear will uh help you feel the emotions of the movie and this film this movie is filled with emotions i'm going to take you on a roller coaster uh, i'm going to make you laugh I'm going to make you cry <laughs> and it's going to be, it's going to be something that's going to impact you. Uh, it's entertaining, but it's also thought provoking. Um, this is a story. Uh, Grandpa's crazy with a question mark. Um, it, that's, that's from the dialogue in the film. The little kid looks at his parents and says, Grandpa's crazy. Um, what happens is that uh it's it, uh, if this is kind of like up meets the sandlot meets uh, 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 
what I'm drawing a blank. Um, Kevin Bacon movie, the dance film. And my wife is also scattering her brain around. Um, so uh, Footloose, Footloose. Uh, so we oh, yeah. we take some of the the formula from those films. We start with uh, uh, Coach. Coach is the thirty plus year baseball coach at Tooele High School, and we name Tooele, and you see the high school, and you see the T on the side of the mountain, and so we're the whole world is now going to know about Tooele, Utah, and. Uh, so here he is in this small rural town. Everybody knows Coach and loves him. And uh, he retires and he and his wife are now planning to go off on a cruise. This, this was their dream all their life. <laughs> and sorry. <laughs> uh, so uh, she dies. We, we kill her off right in the beginning of the film, just like up and uh, we put Gramps in a situation where he has um, uh, nobody in his life. His wife's gone. He doesn't work. He doesn't coach anymore. He doesn't teach school anymore. He just sits at home staring at the walls and the dog. And um, he tries to get his family involved. He invites them to come to dinner and go to church and do all kinds of things and they all have excuses and reasons and they don't come. Gosh, that and reminds me of the mailbox. Goes, yeah, that's a good film. It's a good LDS film. And, yeah, it is. and that was in my mind a little bit as I wrote this. Um, I didn't use any of the things from that, but uh, it was in my mind. It, elderly loneliness is a very big problem, Absolutely. not just in the United States, but around the world. And so we address that head on and, uh, Grandpa decides that he's going to take some action. He makes his plans with the dog. He's always looking down and talking to the dog. And, and we got this gorgeous dog that is just amazing. Uh, so uh, he decides the way to do this is to pretend to get lost. He saw a news uh, item on the TV of an elderly man who got lost and people were afraid, you know, he'd be out in the wilderness somewhere and, and he'd die. And, and the family was all gathered around him. They found him and it was a happy day and, and everybody was excited. So he looked at that on TV and in his mind, it was just exactly what he wanted. He wanted his family to be hugging him the way they were in that, in that news story. And so, um, he looks at the dog and says, well, now we just have to figure out how to get lost. And for a guy who's lived in the same town for 40 plus years, uh, how do you get lost in that town? So he had a little bit of a challenge. And in the process of driving around and looking for a way to get lost, he went by the skate park and um, he stopped at the skate park and he's watching the kids and he's reminded his little flashback of he and his wife when they were high school kids and he had made fun of those skaters and what losers they were and uh his wife sets him straight and and uh so he remembers this now as he's trying to find out how to get lost so he gets out of the car and walks over and says hi to these kids and 
a friendship develops. He starts taking videos and putting them on YouTube for them. And uh, the kids and Gramps become friends. And so wow. now as the parents take him to court and declare him, want to have him declared incompetent, it's the kids who come to his defense and, uh, and save him from being declared incompetent. And so there's some touching stories. The kids will see kids with kids problems, uh, including teen suicide um, and elderly loneliness is a big part of it. Um, so there's, there's some social issues that come out, but I think it's just a great story. And uh, one of the kids, if you can imagine a skateboarding kid with his nickname is Scab. Uh, this sounds like he had a lot of uh, scrape knees or scrape skin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Scab is a great kid, um, but he's, he's had a hard life. His mom died when he was born. His father died the year before. And now he's been placed with his uncle who's abusive to him. And uh, so there's that sad story that we hear about and learn from. This isn't a preachy film in any way, shape or form. Um, and it's uh, a film though that I think we can look at and there'll be somebody in this film that everyone in the audience will identify with. And yeah, absolutely. So what, what I wanna ask you a couple questions about making the film, then I wanna get into the film itself. When a film is made, I assume that the music and everything that you hear in the film is done after the fact. Am I correct? All the music? Correct. That's yeah, cause, correct. Because we think there's a tendency. We, we think when there's a, when a film is being made, oh, the music is playing as they're doing it. But no, it, it, it has to be put in there. Right. And, and actually, I've heard. Uh, Lex Diazavedo talked about this, and what I, apparently, and this makes sense, in the 1920s when film came out, Hollywood apparently had a hard time making scenes dramatic until they learned how to put music in the film. Is that correct? Yes, and and like I said, music is used to enhance the emotional feel. Oh yeah. Um, if you you can watch a film with and without music, and um, you'll see the difference immediately and you'll see what the music does for the emotions that are taking place on the screen. Um, and so the composer is an essential element and a, a key player in the creation of this art form. Well, yeah, what you said is true. Um, I remember as a little kid, I'm going to get a little personal, but it's, um, I'm all about, I, I've talked about some personal things on my podcast. Okay. <clears throat> my mom, I'm sure you can relate, Dave, uh, or maybe your wife. My mom had a guilty pleasure of watching the show Days of Our Lives. Oh. Now, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, conf I, I told her, I don't want to say I confronted her with it, but I told her, one of the reasons why 1985 was such a bad year for me is you used to watch the show and it made me feel very uncomfortable. No, I did not. Yeah, you did. Finally, <laughs> she half hazardly admitted, yes, but I was probably in the kitchen making food. No, 
but it was one you know that you you're elder you know how that goes people watch or anyway some of the music was so dramatic it made me a little frightened as a kid as you could imagine um so yeah music definitely has dramatic uh is dramatic in a film whether it's a song or a drum beat but what made you what inspired you to make a film like this um so i've got uh there's four more coming and the question was which one is going to be first mm -hmm. um, what inspired me is life there's there's so many stories uh, that i want to tell and uh this one um is a compilation of people from my own life and experiences that they've related to me. Um, my mom is in a assisted living facility and uh, I get to meet all her next door neighbors and hear their stories and visit with them and talk with them. And uh, that has been a very eye-opening experience. And so this whole process began a good five, six, seven years ago, um, as I moved her from her condominium into this, actually I moved her into an independent living facility and I've recently moved her into the assisted living part of that facility as her life has been changing. Okay. And uh, so I became more acquainted with um, elderly people and how their life becomes. And I've seen so, so, so many people who a family will put in a care center of some kind and then they leave them. Uh, their attitude is I'm paying for somebody to take care of them. So I don't have to, and I'm going to go on with my life and I'll call once a week, say hi, and I'll stop by on Christmas and a few other times a year, see them on their birthday. And, and that's it. Their involvement in, mom and dad's life becomes nil. And uh, I, I have seen these people uh, living in that world of loneliness. I had uh, a, a gentleman who was a World War II veteran uh, sitting and talking with me, telling me and, and tears coming to his eyes. He said, I am surrounded by people every day and I've never been so lonely. And wow. that had a major impact on me. And so I wanted to figure out how can I, how can I tell a story without being preachy and how can I do it so that it is entertaining? And uh, I wanted it to be a classic. I, I want this uh, to be a story that people will, will watch again and again. I want grandma and grandpa to go with their kids and their grandchildren to see this film. And I believe they will. And I believe those grandchildren will do the same. They will show it to their kids and their grandchildren someday. Um, and there's, I've taken successful elements from other really excellent films and put them in here with the hope that it's going to help make this a classic. Every single person who read the script, every actor, every member of the crew, uh, everyone involved in this film uh, read the script and fell absolutely head over heels in love with it. 
and uh, it has uh, all the elements that are necessary to make this a classic family film that people will enjoy for many years to come. So that was my goal, but at the same time to tell this rather compelling story. Yes, I find it interesting that you did not go to Hollywood at all to make parts of this. It was made strictly in Tooele. What was your reasoning for that? Well, I wasn't trying to make a film in Tooele. I was trying to make a film that was 100% Utah. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to show Hollywood that Utah has the talent in front of the camera and behind the camera to make a quality film. And uh, so that's kind of an underlying agenda that I have, not only with this one, but the others that I plan to make. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe we've succeeded in that goal. As I've watched the product as it's being refined and going through this post-production process, um, I can't get through the film without a box of Kleenex. Yeah. And it's, it's the same spots every time. And gosh, I wrote them and it still makes me cry because the performances are so tremendous. We have kids. We have some kid actors who are by far some of the most talented kid actors you'll ever see anywhere. And if these kids want to pursue acting, uh, I think they're going to be very, very successful. They have done an incredible job with their characters in this film it's interesting that uh, that you mentioned the actors because some of the people in the film i'm familiar with walter platz worked at klo and probably a bunch of other stations in utah jagger is this the same jagger that worked on 94.9 zht back in the day jagger wollstonehume is a 12 year old boy oh okay um, now, Walter Platz, is that the same guy that did news on KLO? Yes. Okay. Yes. And Eric Osmond, um, yeah. a couple other people, but I, uh, those, those three names stuck out to me because I've either heard them before on the radio or just their last name. Well, I'm glad that uh, they caught your attention. Um, my goal was to find the very best. Not, I wasn't looking for name recognition. I was looking for quality of performance. Um, mm -hmm. uh, when you cast a film, they have to look the part. You have yeah. to look right for the part. And then they've got to have the skills. And these actors are all very strong actors. And it is hard, extremely hard, to find kids with strong acting skills. And these kids, just amazing. Just amazing. Uh, we started in, in the very beginning of COVID. So this film was written in COVID. Yeah, that makes I it had, even hit home further, doesn't it? Well, I had COVID. So oh. I had it in February before we really knew what was going on. And um, coming out of it was a struggle. I, I had it for three weeks. I didn't end up in the hospital, but close to it. And um, it took me uh, three weeks to get rid of the symptoms and and another two weeks to regain my energy and strength. And so during that time, I'm a type A person. I, I don't sit around and stare at the walls very easily myself. So um, I just decided I'm gonna sit at my computer and I'm gonna write because I've tried to make time to write and I haven't been very successful at doing that. Um, and writing a film is an intense process. 
So being able to write the film, um, COVID is what made it possible for me to do it. If it weren't for COVID, I wouldn't have forced myself to sit at the computer and write it. You know what's so, funny? I have to say the same thing. If it wasn't for COVID, I wouldn't be putting out as many podcasts as I have been. <laughs> well, good. See, COVID has good stuff to it. Sure and it does. With this, with this particular, I'm, I'm about to have my blood pressure taken, so I hope you understand. I'm, I'm sitting That's in okay. the hospital for your, your viewers and listeners. Uh, I'm sitting in, you want this arm? I have to have the other that one. one. All right. For those of you that don't know, yeah, David uh, Bresnahan is, I'll just fill up some dead air here. He's in the hospital. Um, and I said, show you know us what? the one, right? We're going to go ahead and do this podcast because Bruce Williams did his show. And if you remember Bruce Williams, uh, David, Bruce Williams, remember he did his show in a hospital bed for about a week or so, didn't he? Yes, that's right. I, I don't know how long, but I know he did. Now, how did he, you know, I was thinking about how did he do that? Because we didn't have. Well, I don't, I don't know personally. I know technically how easily it could be done. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what I meant. Because we, we have equipment that's easy enough to bring to a location and set it up and have yeah, the sound did, quality and so forth to be able to do that. Yeah, but did so they pretty have much satellite can broadcast trucks? from anywhere. Um. When I had my radio talk show, um, I was doing that all over the place. I had equipment that I could take with me. And uh, when it was all hooked up, it sounded like I was in a studio no matter where I was. Yeah, but okay, so this is before the internet. Did they have, do you think, I doubt NBC radio had satellite trucks outside of the hospital. Did they, I don't know what. No, no. So um, it's called an ISDN line. It's done through the phone system. It's a. Uh, think of a uh, um, audio system. They had system. those back in the 80s and 70s? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, really? absolutely. Yep, I, I did my show with, using ISDN. I did not know that. Okay. Anyway, carry on. So he had an ISDN line and what? He wired a Comrax through or something? or. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wasn't there to say, but I'm sure there was an ISDN line and, and, uh, ISDN allows two-way communication. So when I would be doing my radio show in my ear, I could hear my producer um, and they'd tell me who's on the line waiting for me and those kinds of things. And so it was uh, technology that enabled it to happen. And technology is even better today than it was then. So we can do some remarkable things. Oh yeah, absolutely. Anyway. And uh, the, nature, the nature of our business is the show must go on, right? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'd rather COVID and or I'm, not. I'm sitting here with uh, uh, a pain in my gut. I have diverticulitis. Um, it, this is my third trip to the hospital in a oh. month. And I told them, you're not sending me home until this is better, but I don't want to have you cut me up. So the doctor is under orders to make sure I'm better before I get sent home this time. Good luck. I don't even know what that what 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 that disease you is. You don't want to know what it is. So you do a search okay. and you'll go, oh my goodness. Um, uh, so bottom line is I have a perforation in my colon. Oh. And uh, it's it's part of diverticulitis and what can happen. And that perforation has now turned into an abscess. And oh, wow. so um, as you can see, I have uh, an IV dripping into me. Mm -hmm. And um, it's got medication that's going into me. I'm getting 
antibiotics and so forth to keep me from being infected. Gosh. And uh, modern science is wonderful. Yeah, good luck. I'm grateful for it. Well, I'll, also, uh, I'll put in a plug. So my day job, every actor needs a day job. My, mm -hmm. my day job has been that I'm an insurance agent, uh, life and health insurance. Uh, I specialize uh, now as I'm growing older, I specialize in helping seniors with their Medicare benefits. And since I just became a senior, I needed my own services and put myself on what I think is absolutely the best Medicare Advantage plan in the world. It pays absolutely 100% of all the costs. My first trip to the ER, the bill was over $10,000. Uh, then I oh, spent man. five days in the hospital. I uh, haven't seen that bill yet, but that's going to be at least, I'd say, $50,000, $60,000. The total bill um, for all of this is going to hit close to, if not past, 100000 And I'm not going to spend a single dime. My insurance is going to pay for the whole darn thing. So wow. I'm glad I know, I know a really good insurance agent. You need to find one when you turn 65. And yeah. if you don't find one, call me. I'll recommend one to you. Uh, all right. By the way, for those of you that don't know who Bruce Williams is, I, I get so I get to, I have a real big passion of radio. So does Dave. And, but I realize not everyone knows who Bruce Williams is. Bruce Williams was a guy that did a show called TalkNet. NBC Radio had a whole lineup of TalkNet. It was into the night, wasn't it, Dave? Yes. Yeah, it was, I think, from 7 Eastern to what? Two in the morning or something like that, if I recall. It went on for a while. And a lot of radio stations just carry that overnight or, you know, carry Larry King or something. So Bruce Williams was on from 7 to 10 Eastern, Monday through Friday for, gosh, many years. What, from 79 to 96 or something like that, wasn't he? Yeah. Possibly and even up he into was, the 2000s. It was a great late, show, late night show. If you didn't want to listen to uh, ghost stories and alien stories, uh, you had the alternative of being able to hear Bruce Williams. And that was great. Yeah, and he was, he was a financial guy. Now, of course, we've got Clark Howard. I, I don't think he does a show anymore. I don't know. I know we've got Dave Ramsey. There's a bunch now. But uh, I remember hearing Bruce Williams for the first time when I was seven years old. And I don't know why. I, I, I had a second-grade teacher at that point that I could not stand. And we've all had these teachers, haven't we? And uh, we, I was pretty lucky. I had some pretty good teachers. And then I became even luckier when I married the world's best first grade teacher. <laughs> well, you homeschooled your kids for a while, didn't you? Yeah, boy, you've got a good memory. Yes, we did. So my yeah. wife uh, stopped working and we homeschooled. And uh, that was outstanding. Um, I don't know if my kids will say it was outstanding, but we thought it was. Well, who knows? But um, I just remember the day after I heard Bruce Williams, maybe it was his voice, maybe it was his demeanor, whatever. But I just sat there in second grade, brailing out my assignments because I'm a blind person. I had to boil out. I thought, I wish Bruce Williams was my teacher instead of this person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, of course, I studied Bruce Williams. Uh, he was probably a typical New Yorker, but we won't go there. Uh, good radio show host, though. Had a lot to say, a lot of uh, good advice, I'm sure. 
But, uh, well, I'm excited for this film to come out. Are you worried, though, that if you sell it to Sony or somebody that they're going to do a bad job marketing or they're going to tweak the film or they're going to say, Oh, we don't like this, this, we are you worried about any of that? No, that's okay. what contracts are for. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you the latest, I don't know. First of all, um, what is your opinion? And there's a reason I want to get into this. What is your opinion on BYU TV? Oh my goodness, that's a loaded question. Oh. Um, let me address it this way. I like the direction that BYU TV has been going lately. Mm -hmm. um, there's been changes and they've, over the years, trying to settle. They didn't really know where they wanted to be and, and they've been sticking their toe in the water in several different directions. And and uh, it's it's a hard thing to do uh, they have a lot of people they need to please. And I've appreciated what they're doing to provide entertainment and do it in a family-friendly way. Um, I've had the opportunity to appear in some of those. And um, in general, I, I like what I see happening and I believe it'll continue to evolve and grow. The, the thing that concerns me, did you read the article that came out two weeks ago from now in Toronto? No. Okay. Well, they're working with, and I understand from an actor's standpoint, you got to work with who you have to work with. You know, I mentioned on the podcast yeah. last week, you know, my dad was upset that a gay person played in the movie Legacy. My response, it wasn't a big deal. It's not like he came out of the closet in the movie or anything and you know so life. let me i can i address that yeah. that whole situation yeah. so there's lots of people artists if you will um throughout history who may have a lifestyle that we disagree with um and uh that doesn't so if you're if you're looking for somebody who's a great artist a great musical performer a great actor um they're their lifestyle and their personal habits aren't part of what you're enjoying. You're enjoying the, the fruits of their, of their skills as an Absolutely. artist. And that's, I mean, I'm not thrilled with people like, uh, I better not go there because I could make a long list. Um, but there, there's, there's people, classic music um, and uh, authors, very famous authors uh, who had lifestyles that are, they wouldn't be friends with me. <laughs> I wouldn't associate with them. Yet I love their work. I'm a big fan of their work. Mm -hmm. And so if someone for example, were a gay person and I owned a radio station and they were having a talk show on my radio station, I wouldn't dismiss them and get rid of them just because they were gay. And yeah. in fact, that was the situation at K-Talk. Um, so I'm, I'm- um, Yeah, I'm familiar with what you're talking about, but go ahead. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm the kind of person that says, uh, in a movie, does the person fit the character? Do they portray the character the way we want the character portrayed? Are they a strong actor? Do they look right for the part? Um, if all those things work, then that person's going to have the role. And they may have a lifestyle I don't approve of, but they get the role. And that's just me and the way I evaluate things. Um, because of their personal life, is that some kind of commentary on the film? Shouldn't be. I know that there are people who do think of things in that way. I don't. And um, we just want a good performance. Now, the casting department for the LDS Church will state on some of the roles that they cast that the person must be a temple recommend holder in order to be considered, to even be considered for an audition before they even have that audition. So if there is some kind of role that they believe is important that standards are upheld in a way that reflect properly on the church um, and that someone with a background that's contrary to the standards of the church would be a negative thing, they make that known in the beginning and they have the right to do that. Um, and that's, that's okay with me too. Uh, it's just like saying um, you work for uh, XYZ company and you're in the sales department and you deal directly with the public and you need to ha maintain certain standards to have the job and you can't say or do things that are negative in some way on your social media. Um, all of that reflects on the company that you work for. And I think that's absolutely appropriate for any company, media or otherwise, to screen their employees and potential employees to make sure that they are conveying the kind of image the company wants conveyed. Well, the reason I bring up BYU TV, we're going to get back into your film, but I, I want to bring this up. Apparently, well, there was an article in a newspaper in Toronto called Now, and they're working with Marble Media to get more LGBTQ people on the show one of them is called Amelia's Amelia something. I can't remember. And then the other one is called Overlord. And what there, I guess in Overlord, there's going to be a character that is going to be in a witness protection program because he plays some kind of character. I can't remember the name of it, but he plays some kind of character that. I guess goes from one world to another or something like that. And they're going to state it in the sense that, yes, this character is queer. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't have a problem with having a LGBTQ actor, actress, but it's getting a little too far when we have to make a big deal, especially BYU TV. I, I didn't know if you heard about this. I was not aware of that specific issue. No. What were the challenges in making this film as far as the money and finding the good talent and all that? Cause you said that you funded it yourself. Um, yes. Yeah. So what were the challenges there? Well, um, 
when you make an indie, an independent film, um, all of a sudden you are now dealing with a very, very tight budget. And I had to do some very innovative outside of the box types of things in order to be able to get the quality people that were needed and do it within this tight budget that we had. So that took some creative thinking and I needed to uh, put together the logistics of this film. It ended up in Tooele simply because the skate park that we were using was in Tooele. We, we scoured the skate parks around the, the state to find where are we gonna film kids skateboarding. <clears throat> and most skate parks were right by a busy road. And because of that, there was a noise factor and that makes filming very hard. Um, and there's extra expense of trying to filter out the noise that comes from traffic and so forth. So the skate park that we had was in Tooele in a rural spot. Uh, literally, there's no traffic there at all. And uh, it was really an ideal spot for filming. And so once we had that main location, it made sense to start finding places that were close to the skate park for other scenes so that we didn't have to pack up the cast and crew and drive to some other town an hour away to film the next scene. Um, so suddenly we had Tooele as our focal point of filming and the city was absolutely amazing. Um, the mayor of Tooele has a cameo in the film. Uh, the Tooele Police Department uh, provided their police cars and a police officer to drive one um, gave us a official Tooele uniform to put on our actor uh, so that he could look, they wanted, if we were gonna show a Tooele officer, they wanted that officer to look perfect. So they made sure that he had a uniform that was perfect in every way. And uh, the city was just tremendous. The courtroom scene that we have, uh, we needed to film in a courtroom. Every courtroom in the state of Utah was closed because of COVID and no, they weren't gonna let us come in and film. Uh, but the city of Tooele said, can you make our city council chamber look like a courtroom? And we went over and took a look at it and said, you know what, we can. And so we filmed in the city council chamber uh, with their cooperation and help to make this happen. Uh, they loved the script. The chief of police uh, read the script and said, I love the story, but more than that, I love the way you depict police officers in this movie. And so I want our police department to be seen in that kind of light. And so those are the kinds of things that we went through and uh, COVID got in the way supposedly, but it brought out the best in everything that we did. And um, the results I think are gonna show, sometimes when you um, have to improvise and make do, it makes you even better. Uh, back in the day when I was involved heavily in the sport of gymnastics, um, we had uh, gymnastics training in an old barn and th that training school produced Olympians and under some really adverse conditions. And uh, <clears throat> it was because we were forced 
to dig in and and uh, work hard in a less than perfect situation. And this film is an example of that same kind of thing. I forgot that you were the uh, gymnastics coach. Did you go to the Olympics of, in Korea back in 88 then? Because I did read that you were a men's gymnastics USA coach. So, no, I wasn't at Korea. Um, okay. Uh, I was the coach of the USA men's gymnastics team in 1986 for competitions that took place in uh, Moscow and Riga, Latvia. And uh, that was an exciting time. Um, One of the gymnasts that I had coached from the time he was 12 years old, um, Bob Gothier, uh, and then helped helped recruit him to go to BYU and be on their team when they still had a men's gymnastics team. Um, Bob was selected to be uh, on that team. And uh, he asked them to select me as the coach of the team because he knew he could perform better with me as coach, uh, somebody that he had worked with so well for so long and someone who knew him and his skills. So that's how I became coach of that team. And uh, it was a great experience for both of us. Oh, wow. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that, couldn't we? Yeah, there's all kinds of neat stories, especially from the LDS point of view. Bob was uh, 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 the first person that uh, I'm a convert to the church. And Bob was the first person I ever baptized. And when we went on this trip to Moscow, um, we, uh, we were asked by the uh, international mission of the church to contact some people at that time, which we did. And uh, having the sacrament in a small room by ourselves on that acti- event was uh, a really unique experience. So there's all kinds of neat stories associated with that. Um, and I joined the church because of some gymnasts that came into my life. I want to get to your conversion story, but we'll save that towards the end because I something tells me it'll be very heartwarming. Um, but about back to your film, though, are do you have or do you know anybody who can put a descriptive track in your film for blind people or closed captioning for hearing impaired folks? Um, closed captioning is actually required in order to stream a, a movie. Okay. And um, that that service is one that's out there that just like anything else for the film, we contract with the service to do that. Okay, so it's possible then if Sony Pictures buys your film, they might put a descriptive video track in there. Um, they, That's something that whoever ultimately owns the film and markets the film will be the one to do that, yes. Okay, that's pretty cool. Okay, so... Do you think that you sent a message to Hollywood that they don't have to act or many actors that you don't have to act in Hollywood or what do you think you, do you think by the time this film gets out and people read about it and behind the scenes, do you think Hollywood will get some kind of a memo? Uh, Cause I did see on your YouTube video, uh, really promoting Utah acting, you know, acting in Utah and rightfully so I will add. 
Now, I think you're talking about the news story that was shown on KSL TV. And uh, they, they pretty much highlighted the fact that it was made by all Utah people for cast and crew and all Utah locations. And um, is Hollywood aware of that right now? Not particularly. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a focus on their side. Uh, however, when the film is finally out and successful, I believe that it will be something that the media will pick up on. And then that will bring it more to the attention of the Hollywood people. Utah is already well known by Hollywood as a great place to make movies. We've yes, had the film Maverick was filmed movies. in Utah. Yeah, there's, and there's been many, many great films filmed here. And uh, we are known for uh, not just the scenery, but for the quality of people that we have. It takes a lot of people to make a movie. And we have the Utah movie studio uh, is located in Park City. And quite frankly, it's a state-of-the-art facility. There's, there's nothing to compare outside of Hollywood um, with that studio. The, the next studio you'll find uh, in the U.S. would be in um, uh, Georgia. And this one um, is in high demand. <clears throat> and quite frankly, why not? Uh, people come to Park City for the Sundance Film Festival and they, they're in love with Park City. And then when they find out there's this gigantic movie studio, they realize they can come and they can film in Utah, bring their family uh, so their family can be there while they're filming. Family can be on vacation while they're filming and they don't, they don't have to be apart from each other. Uh, there's so many great uh, reasons for them to film in Utah and at that studio. So uh, we have a lot to offer here in Utah. And I think the one thing that I'm helping to focus on is we have great uh, cast and crew and we can, we can make a film start to finish and have it be every bit as good as anything done in Hollywood. Um, and I hope that this particular movie highlights that. Now, did you, I don't think you had any Hollywood actors in this film, did you? No. Okay. No. Now, you said that you were working on a sequel to this film, because I tried to Google sequel <laughs> to Grandpa's Crazy. I couldn't find yeah. anything. So um, the sequel is, um, is just being polished up on the script, and uh, we're going to film it this summer. Oh, okay. Um, I'm just, hope, just hopeful that we can. Uh, the key to this is the kids. So uh, the kids that are in Grandpa's Crazy, um, those kids are growing older. And if we're going to make a follow-up film with those same characters, we need to do it quickly before they grow too much. Yeah. And right now is, is the perfect time to do that. So we're going to be filming that sequel. And uh, all I can say is that um, it's, I think, outside the box. And uh, this next story is not just more of Grandpa being crazy. It's not at all. And uh, it's a story about those kids and uh, those kids having a cool 
exciting experience that other kids will look at and do a, oh wow there'll be more skateboarding but uh there's going to be um an alien encounter so we're going to do some travel in space and have some fun experiences with alien kids and i think that uh it will be a really fun exciting action-packed sci-fi film that people will enjoy interesting now, I want to talk about your book. I have not been able to read it yet, um, but you wrote a book about first responders of 9-11 back on March. Well, I guess it was published March 20th, 2018. Uh, briefly, or well, you can take as much time as you want. What is, I assume the book is about the, uh, the first responders, but what else is in the book? Or uh, Take as much so time as, as you'd a, like to. As a journalist, uh, back on... Uh, 9-11-2001, I was, like everybody else, watching TV and astonished and and, uh, in shock. And then as as the story moved forward, um, I was feeling like, why aren't they showing us? Why aren't they bringing cameras right to ground zero and showing us what's going on on the ground right there? I wanted to, to know what that story was all about. We'd hear about it and we'd see shots from a distance, but we weren't seeing anything with people. And there were no interviews with, you know, fire, police, National Guard, any of the people that were on the scene. So I went to work and um, started interviewing them. So I interviewed the first responders themselves. So um, the bottom line is that I wanted to document history. I wanted to document those experiences. And uh, that meant uh, talking directly to the people who were there and experiencing it. And so I did that. And the book tells the story of what it was like to be a first responder at Ground Zero during the first 24 hours after the attack. And I guarantee you, uh, you can't get through that without um, without a box of Kleenex by your side. And yeah, I'll uh, bet. it it will just. Uh, but it's all true, and you'll you'll see what it was really like. And so I consider uh, journalists, if they do the job right, are documenting history. They're documenting something that has taken place. And I thought this was something that needed to be documented. And uh, uh, that's what brought that book, book about. Okay, and yeah. You mentioned 2018. Um, that date that you saw is the date it was put on Amazon. Oh, okay. Okay. So what happened is I, I had written the book. Um, it sold out. And the publisher um, did not renew it for a very simple reason. Um, It was a mom and pop publishing company in Texas that published it. And unfortunately, the poor guy died. And so that was the end of that version of the book. So um, I had to wait a certain number of years to enable me to then have it republished. Oh, Um, yeah, because of contractual things. And as soon as I reached that, I did get it republished. 
and um, the easiest thing to do because of contracts was to just publish it myself on Amazon. And it's been very successful. I've been really pleased. Um, I have so many, you can look at the reviews that are on there, many, many uh, first responders themselves who've read the book. Um, and there's some who talk about how changes to the way things are being done uh, in a disaster situation came about from assessing what happened at 9-11 and some of the things that are, are mentioned in the book were significant in making those changes. So um, there's a great deal of satisfaction that comes from that. And I'm glad that it's, it's being used in that way, but also that it's documenting the history of the time. You know, my dad went to New York, uh, both of my parents did shortly after 9-11. And they said that, the, let's see, 9-11, September 11th, 2001, they mm -hmm. went to ground zero, I believe, yes, in mid-October. My dad told me that it was very emotional for him, and he could still smell, I don't want to get too graphic, but I don't know how not to, he could still smell the after effects, the bodies and the yeah, whatever. Right. And I remember being in Washington, D.C., because I used to lobby for the blind community. I remember being in Washington, D.C., watching a documentary. I can't remember where I was in D.C. I know it was, I know it was uh, on Capitol Hill somewhere. We went into a room and watched a documentary about 9-11 from uh, Peter Jennings, and I got a little emotional. And anybody that knows me knows I'm not a very emotional person. I don't cry very easily. And I don't do, I got a little emotional. Well, my book and my movie is going to do it to you. I guarantee you. When was your book published then originally? The book, the book came out exactly. Well, excuse me. That's not accurate. Um, I turned it in to the publisher um, exactly one month to the day after it happened. So on 10, 11, of 2001 oh. i turned it in and it was two months later that it came out that it was available okay interesting now are you going i tried to look it up on audible because i have an audible membership i could not find it there i couldn't find it on uh yeah i'm sorry about that the audible part is uh not uh so i recorded it and then apparently there's all sorts of specifications that you have to meet with the recording really and like what so uh i didn't i didn't do it the way they wanted it so i have to do the whole darn thing over again and in my busy life it's just been it, i just haven't been able to get time to to do the audio recording again but it is on my bucket list of things to get done and i do want that to happen um and there are many, many people who've requested it, and I want it to be available to you and, and others who need that. Well, you just piqued my curiosity. What are the specifications? I didn't know that there were specifications. Oh, yeah. Well, it's all technical stuff. It has to be, um, it has to have certain audio levels, um, the decibel oh. levels, and it has to have um, uh, all kinds of. Uh, electronic markings in it 
you know, indicating each chapter and so forth. Oh, okay. So that it all lines up correctly. Um, it's, it's just technical stuff. Um, You're probably better off going to a studio that's owned by Amazon or something, I would imagine, because they can do all that for you and you can just record and read the book. Sure, for a less sizable fee. Um, yeah. I have friends who do audiobooks and uh, uh, they've given me great advice. But uh, if you pay someone to do the voice for your book, uh, you're looking at $20,000 or more to, yeah. to do my particular book. Would that be the cost? And so being the penny pincher guy that I am, uh, it's like making the indie film. What I can tell you is the making of an audiobook or the making of an indie film, uh, the same is true. So for my film, um, you cut corners, you pinch pennies. I had X number of dollars to spend and I was running out of money. So one way to save money was I put myself in my own movie and ah. that saved, that saved an actor's salary. Um, same thing with the audio book. Um, if I do the audio portion, I save 20 grand. Mm -hmm. So it's as simple as that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was going to ask you, how did you come up with the funding for your film? Did, did you just, uh, I wrote a check. So that's kind of the, the way the world works, isn't it? I mean, everything yeah. costs money. Everything uh, has an expense to it. And this is a business, whether it's making a movie, putting out a book, it's a business. It's a manufacturing process. I manufacture movies um, and I manufacture books. I'm going to do more of both. And there's a cost to the manufacturing process. And I'm going to find ways to save money. And most of those involve people. So you either find creative ways to pay people or you do things yourself. And I have a big rule. I, I don't do something myself unless I can do it really well. I want absolutely the best in my film and, and in the process of the books. So I will hire the people who can do what I cannot do and I will delegate jobs to people, but I only do that with people who are really good at what they do. Otherwise, why am I spending money for somebody if I'm not getting the quality that I'm looking for? And so that's, that's kind of the producer's job. Um, so as the producer, I have to find the right people with the right skills for the right price. And part of what I did was pretty creative. Um, I wrote up contracts for people in which I paid them an upfront amount of money. Uh, so they were paid for doing their work immediately, but then they get a back end payment when the film comes out and the revenue starts to flow. Uh, then they get the remaining portion of their funds. And I was very fortunate to find people who are willing to work in that situation. Many, many, many actors and crew uh, will not do that because they've been burned. Too many people have promised back-end money to actors for years and they never get their money. Um, oh, wow. So that had a bad taste in their mouths, but they looked at my, my uh, script and they said, you know, this is such an incredible film. Uh, I actually had people say, 
you know, after we signed the contract, they'd say, I would have done this for free because this is so good. Uh, I just have to be in this film. Uh, and one of the coolest things, we did a, um, a uh, what's called a table read. In normal situations, actors gather around a table and they have the script with them and they read their part as you go through the script, top to bottom. <clears throat> and that helps the writers, it helps the producer, the director uh, to figure out any changes they want to make. And I did that on Zoom because of COVID. We had our table reads on Zoom and we started doing that in April last year. Um, shortly after the, I got the, the, the script completed, we started having table reads. And my biggest concern were the kid actors and finding really good kid actors. So I knew this could help me to revise the script and it could help me to find the right kid actors. And we finished a table read. This was not the first one or anything. This is maybe the fourth or fifth time we had done this. And um, one of the kids sent me a private message on Zoom. And he just said, I really, really want to be this character. And, 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 and then as we, we then talked about it, he explained that he had an emotional tie to the character. Um, he saw himself as that character. He identified with that character so strongly that um, he wanted to be that character. And he wanted me to know this because it was not the part he was reading for. It was a different character than what he was reading for in the table read. And that kind of response has come from everyone who participated. Um, their, their love of the story and of the characters in the story are what brought them to this and created a really strong teamworking environment where everybody contributed to the final outcome. And I have to say the, the coolest part for me is one of the actors in the film is my son, Joseph. And wow. that gave us an opportunity to work together that I will always cherish. Yeah, well, I, I and, would imagine. And he great... proved himself to be a very fine actor. Uh, he did tremendous, very, very well. So it was great. But if you just go to the website, imdb.com, that's the International Movie Database. It's owned by Amazon, and every single movie ever made is on that website. You can look up any movie, any star, any cast, a crew member, any director, screenplays. You know, you can. You can check anything you want about any particular movie. It'll all be there. If you haven't used IMDb before, I think you'll be fascinated. So you go to IMDb and in the search bar of IMDb, you can put in the name of any actor, i.e. you could put in Dave Bresnahan. Um, and I'm listed there as Dave, not David. And um, you could put in the title of any movie. So you just simply type in Grandpa's Crazy with a question mark. And then it will come up with the findings and you just click on the first one because that'll be the one. And when it comes up, you'll be on the page for that movie. And you can scroll through, you can see all the actors that are in it, all the crew members, um, and you can click on the various buttons that are there to see different bits of information. 
and the trailer is there. So you'll see um, the trailer uh, right there on the opening screen. And there's a button you'll recognize, you know, to play a video, click that button and you'll see the trailer. And then if you like any of, want to check out the actors that are in the movie, if you click on their name, it will take you to their IMDB profile and you can learn more about that actor. So it's okay. a great service. Yeah, yeah, it is.